before we go to the word. Father, this morning we come to you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. Thank you, Father. Speak to us this morning. However loud or low the voice of man may be, let everyone hear the still small voice of your spirit. For you have the words of life, you alone. Speak, Father, speak, speak, Lord, speak. Help us to hear. Help us to constantly believe and obey. That there is a decrease daily of our life and an increase of your life. For that is the only life, O Lord, that is pleasing in the sight of the Father. Help us to hear. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this morning, as we go to the Word of God, these are just recorders, different things we are trying out because more I travel, more the, it needs to be recorded and be uploaded and more and more and more people now listen in different languages. So, but that's not the point. The point is that we who hear should listen and hear and obey. You know, we've been looking at different aspects of God's kingdom over the years, over the weeks, months, the past few months or weeks, we've been looking at God's kingdom and justice. The cry of man is for justice. It is about justice. The kingdom of God is about justice, about righteousness. And briefly, capping up in a few words, few lines, what we've been looking at over the weeks, the primary characteristic of God's kingdom is justice. He's a just God. Never overlook it. You do it, we do it, we do it at the cost of ourselves. The loss will be ours. God is just. It doesn't matter what we are going through, what we may feel about what we are going through, you may feel it's very unfair. But it's not true. God is just. It's always just, absolutely. For the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Righteousness is an outflow of God's justice. When God's justice is upheld, what we experience is called righteousness. You cannot have righteousness without justice. It's not possible. If there is justice, then the end result is righteousness. Therefore, God is just. We live in a world that is full of sin and wickedness, full of people who God calls evil, sinners and evil men. Evil will grow stronger and stronger. So there will be injustice all around us. We experience injustice every day of our life. But... God's people know one thing. God is good. God is just. And therefore we love God and we obey him in spite of the injustice we go through. 
Remember, we need to love God. If you ever think somebody is unjust, immediately you will see a corresponding feeling in your heart. The difficulty to accept and love that person. Okay? The minute you feel, even if you, even if you are a child and uh, you love your father, you love your mother, but the minute you start thinking my father is unjust or my mother is not fair, immediately you will see there is a loss of communion. Means relationship. A break comes over there. Okay, these are two different things. Okay, please understand they may sound like theological terms, but they are relevant to us. When we were born again because we believed by the Spirit of God, we came into what is called union with God. But that union is constantly sustained and experienced through communion. Okay? Communion, I don't mean the elements that communion means a ongoing relationship communion. Union is upheld with communion. Let me tell you the dangerous part of it because these are all marital terms. Union without communion is prostitution. Remember that. Union without communion is prostitution. Union with communion is what a healthy relationship is. Prostitution can be at different levels. At a home, at an office, anywhere. You may be living in a home. Therefore you are united to that home. But there is no communion there. Then what happens? It is prostitution. Meaning you are making use of the others in the home for your own pleasure. What is it? It's not a family. It's not a relationship. It's prostitution. You may be in an office. You are united to that office. But you have no communion with anybody else there. No relationship with anybody else. So what are you doing? You are making use of that place for yourself. God did not send us into the world to prostitute. God sent us after an union with him. To reconcile the world back to him. So there has to be a union with God. And a communion with God. And then. In our relationships. There is union. And there is communion. Understand this. These are all parts of life. Which we don't understand. We will never understand. What the cross did. Cross reconciled us with God. And with one another. But remember, when there is a breakdown inside, it's because we think somebody is unjust. So always remember, it doesn't matter what I go through, you go through, what I feel or you feel, God is just, is always just. Let that be the fundamental bedrock of your relationship with God. Not love. Not love. You cannot build a relationship on love as feelings. No. God, relationship with us is not built on love. It is built on a covenant. Built on a covenant. 
a marriage relationship is not built on love it is built first on a covenant and based on that covenant the love grows where there is no covenant when there is a change of feeling people walk away from covenants so god first makes a covenant with israel and then he makes a new covenant with us and one of the fundamental precepts about the covenant is that my god is just my god is right my god is righteous Therefore, in chapter 2 of book, sorry, 1 and 2 of the book of Job, you don't have to turn. You can see a man going through calamity like no man has gone through and sorrow and tragedy. By the time the book ends, man is restored in everything. Why? Because one thing he would not question, the justice of God. God is just. He had many questions about what he is going through. But he knew something about God. In all his words, scripture says, he did not sin against God. He said, my redeemer lives. My redeemer lives. My redeemer lives. Okay, understand that. The kingdom of God is based on righteousness. The scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. Righteousness comes only where there is justice. if there is no justice i cannot experience righteousness it is just a, it's something on paper it's not a reality so god is just so we have to look everything life from the kingdom perspective from god's perspective because jesus did not just come to redeem us from sin but also to show life from god's perspective how the life of god is lived in this body if in exodus chapter 20 no you don't have to turn there when i tell you know you just go by the references i have given okay 20 you see god gives the law why does god give the law to show he said just god the law to moses but to us from Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 27 Jesus sets forth the kingdom you have the law coming through Moses and truth coming through Jesus Christ especially you want to know concise truth read from Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 these three chapters sums up the kingdom the sermon on the mount he's setting forth life in the kingdom but of all the verses in that three chapters for me personally that one verse that holds everything together entire kingdom agenda together for me as a human being who is redeemed by the love of god is matthew 6 and verse 33 where it says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you seek ye first don't change that order seek ye first not second not third not even a close first seek ye first the kingdom of god what do i seek first king what do i seek first the kingdom of god i cannot seek his righteousness first i have to seek his kingdom first why kingdom what does kingdom denote kingdom denotes authority and government 
cannot seek righteousness without seeking the government and the authority of God. First thing as a subject I seek daily is I surrender. I submit to your authority. I submit to your kingdom. If I don't begin with that, my seeking of righteousness is just an academic pursuit. It never will be a reality. It's a result. Righteousness can be added to those only who are seeking kingdom. The kingdom of God represents his power, his authority, his government. Seek ye first. Why? Because righteousness is the end result of justice. End results of justice. Where there is justice, there is righteousness. If you read Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, but also it is talking about Abraham believed God, credited him to as righteousness, but talks about us now. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him. What? Righteousness will be imputed in us who believe in him. Who? Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. What are we first? We are first justified. Until we see that the justice of God regarding sin. I cannot be counted righteous. A lot of people say, I thank you, Lord, you saved for me. That's fine. What did it, what did he save you from? What did he save you from? Saved you from sin? Do you accept your sinner? Do you accept God's verdict about sin? Do you accept sin is what God calls it? I accept your justice. You cannot say at the same time, Lord, I am a sinner and then say it's not fair. Right? You cannot say both at the same time. Right? So either you are fair and I am a sinner or I am not a sinner, you are not fair. When we declare his justice and believe in God's answer, God says, you are declared righteous. When the justice of God is met on the cross and we believe, scripture says, we are declared righteous by God and before God. So righteousness is always only the result of justice. Of justice. Now problem with justice. Justice can come only when there is a judgment. If there is no judgment, there is no justice. You want justice, the court postpones the case. Your court is in the, your case is in the court. You go hoping for justice, postpone to next week. Did you get your justice? No. Why? The judgment hasn't come yet. Where there is no judgment, there is no justice. But to make judgments, you need what? No, we need a judge. The judge is already there. But for the judge to make the judgment, you need what is called statutes and laws. 
it is not enough that you have statutes and laws you also need to have a covenant what does it mean simple terms i will explain which you can understand anybody can understand peter is sitting in nigeria not in hyderabad he is sitting in nigeria india has no treaty with nigeria peter beats up richi and goes back to nigeria okay even back to nigeria sister joba goes and files a case can you do anything to peter no why because india has no treaty or covenant with nigeria that if it is a crime is done by a particular person you can extradite him and face the law here do you remember all these children all of us when we studied in school those days we were in school there was something we did we were all born in india right as indian citizens yet in the assembly we had to say something every day what is that what is that you are pledging your covenant with this nation i am an indian and i choose to live under the laws the regulations and the statutes of this nation when you dis- forgo your citizenship let us say you receive the citizenship of usa the day you get it usually it is july the 4th or 5th whenever that day is they all will gather in the room the flag and they will swear allegiance to that country to that flag and to that constitution do you see you want justice you want righteousness there has to be justice you want justice there has to be judgment do you want judgment there has to be laws do you want laws you need to have a covenant first you have to agree you will keep the covenants old covenant new covenant two parties agree every one of us by birth we don't realize agreed to stay under the constitution of india all of us when we were born again agreed to stay under the constitution of god's kingdom and when there is a conflict between these two constitutions we say i surrender all that's the dichotomy we are faced with because we are citizenship holding citizenship with two nations we have citizenship in india and we have citizenship in heaven wherever these two agree things go fine where they don't agree we have to make a decision which way we will go so this is the primary commandment of god when the children of israel is going to enter into the land that they're going to be given deuteronomy 4 and verse 1 now o israel o israel listen to the statutes and the judgments which i teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the lord god of your fathers is giving you you want to possess the land which i am giving then do one thing listen to the statutes and the judgments which i teach to observe this is exactly what god is telling to us through jesus to moses through moses he says listen to my statutes and my judgments which i teach you observe it and you will go in and you will possess the land jesus says seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and you will possess the life i am promising you you will have that life
So understand, there is a covenant, which means accept authority. There are statutes, there are judgments, there are justice, and at the end of it comes righteousness. But scripture says there, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That is dominion or authority. What is the first thing God says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So when God gives his statutes and laws, primarily the ten commandments, what is the first thing? Poke him. You have the authority to poke him. I give you dominion over him now. Okay. Okay, Poke him. Okay. What is the first commandment? And? Thou shall have? What is the first commandment? Dominion. After that he will tell only the rest. To who who does not accept dominion, there is no point telling the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Come under dominion. And then righteousness will keep on be added. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Thou shall have no other gods before me. First commandments are all about dominion. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All the first few commandments is connected with dominion. About authority coming under the authority, dominion of God. You shall have no other gods. And then he says, now after you keep the others, after that, what will be the result? Righteousness. You will possess the land. You can live in peace. You will possess the land I am crossing you. So here we are in the same pattern in the new covenant. 11th month is over, almost over, last Sunday. Next month is 12, remember 12, completion. The question stock taking is, what do I seek? Do I seek his kingdom and his righteousness first? What did I do this 11 months? How do I evaluate this 11 months? Did I seek his kingdom? Has the kingdom more authority over me now, today, than it was last month, and the previous month, and the previous month? Have I come under more under God's authority? Has his righteousness increased? Do I please God? It's a simple question. Otherwise, one more year is gone behind us, wasted. One more. Because we want to know these things. This is, this is the hard cry. You know. The first cry of Saul of Tarsus is, Lord, what do you want me to do? The minute he has seen Jesus Christ, revelation of Jesus comes, he asks, what do you want me to do? Jesus doesn't say, it will be told you. Did Jesus tell him what to do? He says, no, go to the city. First let me see whether you are under authority. Are you under dominion? I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'll tell you what to do. One thing to do. Go to the city and wait. One thing. One thing Adam and Eve was told. One thing the disciples were told. Go wait in Jerusalem. One thing Saul of Tarsus was told. Go wait in Damascus. One thing. Everything is a result from that one thing. Because we do a lot of sacrificial lives. Sacrifices we do. Generously, painstakingly, hoping this will please God. But this is religion. In religion there is a lot of sacrifices. But God is not looking at sacrifice. God is first looking always at obedience. There is this rhetorical question asked by the prophet Micah. 
We looked at it in very briefly a few weeks ago in Micah chapter 6 and verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give a firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? I said, what do you want, Lord? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Do you want sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice? What do you want me to do? Fast for 21 days? Take leave and come for Wednesday meeting also? Because these are all sacrifices for people. Not easy. What do you want me, Lord? More sacrifice? What? What do you want me to do? God answers. He has shown you, O man. This is talking to the saved person. Okay? This is not talking to Gentiles. This is talking to the saved person. He has shown you, O man, what is good. If you want to know what is good, listen to Wednesday's message. Okay? What is good? Wednesday's message is on what is good. Meaning, you and I don't decide what is good. It is God who decides what is good. After the first day's creation, he said it is good. Second day's creation, he kept quiet. If God is quiet about something, don't say it is good. If God says something is good, don't say it is bad. At the end of creation, he said it is very good. After he created man, he said it is not Good for man to be alone. God looked at one tree and said, it is good and evil. If you eat, you will die. Therefore, it is not good. The devil came and told him, no, it is good. You and I don't decide what is good or what is bad. It is God who decides what is good and what is bad. So even Jesus wouldn't allow anybody to call him good. Good master, why do you call me good? There is no one who is good. Only God is good. So today don't go back and say I am a good boy. Let God say that. Don't go and say you are an evil boy. Leave that alone. also. Just don't say that either. Let God say that. We don't decide what is good or bad. There is a time set for that. So what is good? What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of all his children sitting here? First thing, to do justly. First thing he requires is, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before God. Okay, all our verbs, you notice carefully when you read scripture, you have to read carefully. Do good. Or do justly, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Three verbs are used. These are not passive things. These are active things. Do good. Sorry. Do justly. Act justly. Love mercy. It's not enough to be merciful. Love mercy. And walk Humbly. When you read scripture, you need to realize God will demand certain things beyond the superficial. He said it's not enough to be just. Act justly. It's not enough to be merciful. You have to love mercy. Why will God allow a whole lot of humanity to go into delusion and be fooled by the Antichrist? It's simply because they did not receive the love of truth. Not truth. Love of truth. All of us are hearing the truth here, but that's not enough to escape deception. We need to love truth. Love mercy. And 
Walk humbly. First thing he says is be just. And one thing we need to naturally accept is we are not naturally just. We are not naturally merciful. And we are not at all naturally humble. Doesn't come because of the older man, the old man inside. So how do we do what pleases God and do what he expects? Oh Lord, I see this. You require this from me to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now I will say, this is how scripture is written, but for today's sake, let's invert it. Lord, I want to be just. I want to do justice. I want to act justly in my relationships, in everything that I do. I want to be just and act justly. Lord, I want to love mercy and more and more and be known as a merciful person. But how do I become that? God says, let's reverse a little. It begins with your walk with God. Are you getting? Lord, I want to act justly. He said, walk with me. Lord, I want to be merciful. He says, walk with me. Why? I am just and I am merciful. I am just and I am merciful. We have two choices. We have two choices. There are two choices God gives. You want to be just, either you can go to law school and study the law. Or you can walk with the judge. Two choices. You can either go to law school and be a Pharisee or walk with Jesus and be a disciple. Two choices. So he says, walk with me. Walk with me. Because the Pharisees did not walk with God, but knew the law well. They were called the experts of the law. You will see they judged wrongly each time and they never loved mercy. And they were not just. Jesus walked with his father, so he was always just and he loved mercy. Walking with God is the beginning and the end. And the source of everything. Everything that Jesus died for. If you ask. If you ask. Really ask. It's a very superficial understanding people have. What did Jesus. Why did Jesus die? What would most people answer? Why did Jesus die? To save me from my sins. It's it's good for a child that is okay. But that's not the answer. Jesus died. So that man could walk with God again. That's the reason. Jesus died. Not just to, okay, saving us from our sin is just one part of salvation. Why do you want to be saved from sin? So that we can walk with God. Like that preacher said, so many people in Christendom today If they were to die and end up in heaven without Jesus being there, it wouldn't matter to them at all. Because they haven't walked with him on earth, what difference does it make to them in heaven if he's not there? Yet they are saved. Because they have believed him for the salvation from their sins. But we were not saved for that purpose. The purpose, the end result of salvation should be 
a walk with God and a closer and a closer and a closer walk with God. What is the first effect of sin? In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. No, 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 no. Chapter 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife. What is the first result of sin? They are not able to walk with God. What's the first result of sin? They are not able to walk with God. That's the first result of sin. Do you see sin in terms of relationship? What is the first result of sin in your home? You are not able to walk with your spouse. Children are not able to walk with their parents. Walk, I am talking not a physical walk. Oh, Parents can be at home. They don't talk at all. They are gritting their teeth all the way to church. And in church, the smile comes. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. I'm not talking about that. I am not talking about that. I'm talking about this. What's the first result? What's the first result? Walk is gone. And verse 10, verse 9, the Lord called to Adam and asked, what is the first question of God? What is the first question God asked man? Where? What does it mean? I'm here walking alone. Where are you? I'm here walking alone. Where are you? We were walking together all these days, right? Where are you? Why am I alone? What's his response? And he said, I heard your voice in garden and I was afraid because I was why was he afraid? Was afraid? Because of the result of sin, not sin alone. He realizes his righteousness cover was gone. And he knows with God, if man has to walk, he needs to be righteous. His cover is gone. His cover is gone. That is why it is easier to walk with a human being than with God. Because you can pretend with a human being if he doesn't know your cover is gone. With God you cannot. With God you cannot. Scripture doesn't say Adam and Eve hid from each other. No, they are together. But hiding from God. So unless righteousness is restored, man can never walk with God again. Are you getting the picture? When do two people, however close they are, stop walking with each other? Let's say a husband and a wife. Or two close friends. When do they stop walking with each other? When one perceives there is some injustice. The walk is affected. Do you agree? Both don't have to feel. One, just one has to feel. Both of them don't have to feel. If the husband feels the wife was not just, she may talk, 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 but he's silent. Or the wife feels the, child, the husband, whichever way, or, or a child, or two friends. What stops? What is affected? The walk is affected. That's why the question, where are you? Where are you? 
It's wonderful the songs we sang today. Remember the first song we sang today? Okay. I love you because God says before you bring a sacrifice, if you know your brother is offended with you, put right and then come and worship me. So Pastor Sharon was teaching us when there is oneness in the body, worship with God becomes easier. In Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one. What is the husband and wife called to? To oneness. The husband and wife is called to oneness, to unity. As believers, we are called to oneness. Why? Because there is oneness between the father and the son. In John 17 verses 22 and 23, And the glory which you gave me I have given them so that they may be one just as we are. One. How does it come? Listen to the lyrics. Now remember the lyrics of the songs which we sang. The Christ in you and the clouds the Christ in. No, not that I love you. That is in the world. In the world I love you, later I can't stand you. But the Christ in me loves the Christ in you. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect in one. And the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What is the purpose? What does it come? The relationship, what comes? Oneness comes. Unity comes. Oneness comes. What is the purpose of the entire ministry within the church? Ephesians 4 verses 11 to 13. It was he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to what? That unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and become a perfect man. What has happened? The ministry, fivefold ministry of the word of God, the, the ministry of word of God reaches its completeness. What happens within the body? There is a oneness that comes in the body. But note, okay, like I said, unity with God first. Then only with man. How is unity with God and then unity among believers built? That's why we preach only from one text. What is that text? The Bible. We don't bring any other text here. The Bible. The word of God. Second thing, we lift only whom up? Christ up. If you lift anything else up, unity is lost. Because unity is found only in Christ. Unity with God leads to unity with the brethren. Like-minded brethren. Therefore, it is the word of God that is preached. Now, when we talk about oneness and unity, it is there in every church. Do you know? There is oneness and unity in every church and every religion. There is oneness and there is unity. But there is a difference. Now, listen carefully. I can bring two ice cubes, separate ice cubes. Put it in a dish, put it there, and put it into the freezer. Ten minutes later, I will see the two ice cubes have stuck to each other. Okay? I can bring two blobs of butter and put it in a dish. Half an hour, I will see they have become one. 
both are united but differently there are people in religion and in churches who are united but they are cold they are cold the people in the church who are united with Christ and united with one another so that you will know they are one question is what do you want to be what do you want to be the key the answer to all that is walking with god everything else follows from it everything else follows only from walking with god that is the focus because the purpose of salvation is not that we walk with one another because before salvation came and appeared to man we were walking with one another for 4000 years man has been walking with one another last 2000 years also men have been walking with one another but the purpose of salvation is that man could walk with god and then those who walk with god could walk together that's the church now let me put it across today in terms of the first 30 35 minutes you experienced here today what you experienced was worship in the form of music right worship is in many ways life itself is worship or should be worship but we experience 35 minutes of worship in terms of music what makes music different from everything else every other form of conversation what makes music different is there is rhythm in music there is rhythm in music in music remember rhythm is based on variation between beat and silence have you ever seen the drummer going without any gap at all then it is one loud noise there has to be beat and silence whether it's a guitar or whether it is a keyboard or children when they play the keyboard what do they do they keep it pressing do you get music there is beat and we are getting beaten up because there is no silence in between let me think for ask for ourselves what would happen to the worship service if the rhythm fell apart doesn't matter how well prepared you came you would be gritting your teeth and with absolute with all your strength all your might trying to worship but rhythm isn't there you have beat and you have silence what is spiritual rhythm spiritual rhythm is not connected with beat and silence meaning you beat up somebody and then you're silent for a long time <laughs> no it is not connected with beat and silence spiritual rhythm is our walk with god and our walk with man when our walk with god is affected our walk with man too is affected and we lose the music in our life there's no rhythm as soon as adam and eve's walk with god was affected so was their walk with each other affected when god told him who told you were naked what did adam say this woman you gave me suddenly earlier before when they were he was walking with god and the woman was brought to him what did he say the flesh of my flesh the bone of my bones wow now his relationship with god is affected his relationship with man is also affected rhythm is gone 
So unless righteousness is restored, there can be no true genuine walk. So this you will see is the theme central in the Bible. Now the preaching of righteousness does not interest men and women who are not interested in a walk with God. So what do peddlers do from pulpits? They peddle them things about this world. That's why there are Bible talks about hearing ears and itching ears. Two different kinds of ears in the Bible too. There are deaf ears, hearing ears, and itching ears. The people in the world are deaf. Their ears are deaf. They don't hear from God at all. The people in the church fall into two groups. One is what? What? Hearing ears. They are hearing. Yes, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with, I want to walk with man. I want to walk with you. Hearing ears. And then there is a set of people who only hear problems. So the ears are itching ears. Lord, how will I succeed in the world? How will I? itching ears? It's all about this life and this world. It's not about a walk. Theme is consistent about walk. In Genesis 5 and verse 22, scripture is very clear. Without righteousness, it is not possible to walk with God. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with him for how many years? 300 years. How could he walk with him for 300? The key is, only one key is given. What is written? After he begot Methuselah. He walked with God 300 years. Before that, 65 years, he randomly sometimes walked, sometimes didn't walk. Nothing is written. But we know after he begot Methuselah, he walked with God 300. Why? Because Methuselah means when he dies, judgment will come. So how can you walk with God? You can only walk with God in the light of his judgments. When you walk in the light of judgments, you uphold his justice. When you uphold his justice, righteousness is imputed into, when righteousness is imputed into man, he can walk with God. Otherwise, he cannot walk with God. You can have religion. You can have religion. You cannot have. You can. You will be zealous for your religion, for your dharma, whatever your dharma is. You can be Christian dharma also. You can be zealous for your church. You become a zealot like Paul, Saul of Tarsus was zealous for Judaism. Very jealous, absolutely jealous until he met Christ and he realized, oh my gosh, I'm just jealous for Judaism. I'm not even walking with God or man. Genesis 6, 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Why did Noah walk with God? Because he was just. How did he become just? Because he was living in the light of judgment that is coming. So we have to learn to walk with God. Continue to walk with God. Otherwise our walk with man will be affected. And what did God answer through Micah? Act justly. Love mercy. And we actually stop doing good. Because if you don't walk with God as evil increases, we will become more and more unjust. We will actually stop loving mercy. We ultimately end stop doing good. And we enter up becoming part of that evil generation scripture keeps on warning about. In every generation, there is a generation that is called evil generation. And God's depart from them. But we could become part of them. 
That is why the prayer is, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Okay. We stop doing good. Do good is what God says. What does God say? Do good. You have to do good. But to do good, remember Micah 6, 8? Man, you know, you have to do good. To do good, what you have to do? First, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So do you see this interesting part? All of us sitting over here, we do different things in life. Some are students, some are housewives, some go to office work, some of us are in ministry. We are all working. Different works. But when we are judged for our works, he judges it on this criteria. When you work, or the work you did, were you just? Did you love mercy? Did you walk humbly before me? As a student, he will ask John and Johan and Andrew, all the young ones sitting over here, are hearing the word, were you just? Did you love mercy? Did you walk humbly with God? Just three questions. Because we have to do something, right? We have to do our work. The work's appointed by God. That is where we will come back again. Because we are looking at it chronologically in order. Because you want to walk with God. But to walk with God, there is something connected with work. We all have to do something, okay? We all need to work. Let's use simple, practical examples. If you want to work, you need to rest. We don't see it that way. We see it the other way. I work and I rest. But like I said, in the in the body of Christ, in the church, we have to start thinking differently. Start thinking from the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, as long as you think as rest, the end result of your work, you will never succeed. Shall I repeat that again? As long as you see rest as the end of your work, you will never succeed. You want to succeed as the kingdom proclaims. You need to see rest as for the, as the reason for your work. Some of you are miserable in your offices. It's not because of the work pressure. It's because of the way you think. Rest is not the end of the work. No. Work is actually the end result of rest. Why do we rest? So that we can work more. Have you ever thought about work like that? Now you will have a heart attack. Because you are always thinking vacation, vacation, rest, 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 rest. Why don't you think work? Rethink life in kingdom terms. In John chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus said, Jesus answered, my father has been working until now and I am working. He didn't say my father has been resting until now. So it doesn't matter what work we do. The question is, how do we do our work? Will we be judged that we acted justly in our own work? That we loved mercy when we looked at others' work? We are very good to judge others' work. Oh, she never works. God says, did you love? Mercy. Do you love mercy in your workplace? 
Oh, that one, he never passes in English and I always get 90. Good. But did you show mercy and teach him some English? You're good in English, right? You're good in maths, right? So did you show mercy there? Did you love mercy? Your maths was a gift or what? When you were born, you were born mathematician or what? No, you acquired it on the way, right? So God showed you mercy to see that probably you had a father who loved mathematics and you naturally got inclined towards mathematics. That is the mercy of God. That was the mercy of God. Why didn't you show mercy? Did we show mercy? Did we walk humbly before God? That's what God is saying here. How would you evaluate Jesus' work? He acted justly. And he loved mercy. Loved mercy. But how did he manage this? Let's not get and make things impractical. Okay, It has to be practical. Jesus was the most practical man who ever walked on earth. The reason he was so successful was because he always worked from rest. From spiritual rest. With God, you can only walk or work in rest. Sounds funny, right? Walk in rest, work in rest. I thought rest was when you don't work. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark 1 and verse. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. What's he doing? He's finding his rest with his father. What did he do? Found his rest with his father. And the next verses. He went, departed, prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And verse 37. And you will see crowds came. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you and he begins his ministry. It doesn't bother him how tiring the work is. Why? He's found his rest. Mark 6. When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. You know what happened to the disciples? They were hit by a storm in the boat. Where is he? At rest with his father. And what do you see in verse 51? 6.50 He walked. He went up into the boat to them. And the wind ceased. What is he doing? Which is easier you tell me. Here are a set of 12 people in a boat. Furiously terrified. Rowing against the storm. And here is he who has rested. Walking over the stormy waters. Which is easier. Second is easier, right? To row in the boat is easier than walk over stormy waters. But he's not even bothered by the storm. Why? Because he's operating from rest. He's operating from rest. The storm that is hitting all 13 people is the same. And his condition is worse. But he walks over and scripture says, when he got into the boat, wind ceased. That's when you will have people all troubled, heated argument. And when one peaceful man comes over and says, shh, Everything is calm. Come on, chill. Be still. What are you all worrying about? The storm? Still. Why did the storm still? Because the man who had found his rest in God got into the boat. 
We are not prepared for storms because we do not know what rest is. In Luke chapter 15, 4, 5 and verse 15, how the report went around concerning him, all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of that infirmity. Now workload is increasing. When workload increases, what is our response? Should be his response. Next word. So he went himself often, withdrew into the wilderness and do we do that? I know everybody sitting here has work pressure and struggling in your workplace. Why don't you do what he did? We will never face work pressure like the one he faced. Crowds will never come demanding our time and our strength and our energy like he did. But he wasn't overcome by that. Why? He found his rest with his father. Luke 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. All night in prayer to God. And verse 13, and when it was day, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. What do we do? We study all night and then go to write the exam tired. This is his first exam. You have to pick the correct twelve whom the father has appointed. Eleven to lead the world, one for perdition. You cannot go wrong. Your first choice in the kingdom. You are going to pick the pillars who will turn this world upside down. What did he do? What we don't do. What did he do? He went and prayed. Spent time with his father. Luke nine eighteen. It happened as he was alone praying, his disciples joined him and asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? Let me ask you this question. You read the entire Gospels. Do you find anywhere in the Gospels the disciples praying with him? Do you see? No. They won't pray with him. They will ask him to teach about prayer and they will watch him praying. They will see him going to pray, but he will never catch them. When he wants them to pray with him, they fall asleep. You'll never see them praying with him. But that never stops him praying. The fact that others don't pray, does it stop you from praying? The fact that others don't seek God in isolation, does that stop you from seeking God? Is the question. Later, after he's risen again, it's the first time you hear them all gathered together for prayer. And immediately the miracles will begin. Luke 9.18, Luke 22.41, when the hour had come, 22.41, not 14, 41, he went a little apart and he, when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, he knelt down and he prayed. Do you see from Mark 1.35, the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, his life is identified with one thing. He spent his time with his God. He was absolutely clear that I have to walk with my God before I can work for my God. That's what Sabbath means. Rest. That's what Sabbath means. I have rest. I have rested. Therefore I can do his works. We are doing our works and we are burdened by our works. I'm not talking about a physical weariness of burden. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the spiritual burden. These are two different things. People who are worrying and anxious and upset and all, it is not a physical burden. That is okay. If you have physical burden, you will sleep well. But the other burden, 
is because you have no rest. Because you haven't entered into his rest. Jesus' life had rhythm. Because there was always silence and there was beat and there was music. Read Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Read this in the light of what you have heard so far. Reason, our walk will be defined by our rest. Our walk will be defined by our rest. Our work will be defined by our walk. And our life will be defined by our work. That's how God has ordained his spiritual principles for his son and for all of us. Let me repeat it again. Our walk will be defined by our rest. The more you are rested in God, the more you can walk with God and walk with man. The more you can walk with God, the more it will show in your work. It will define your work. Everybody works. But everybody can, can't say I have done the works of God. Everybody cannot say that Father I have brought you glory by the work that I have done. Jesus said all that. And the work will ultimately define our life. You see, that's how we finally again end up in Hebrews 11. First person to be mentioned in Hebrews 11 is who? Abel. Abel worshipped God. Question is, was Abel just, act justly? Yes, he did. Did he accept the judgment of God? Did he love mercy? Did he accept the judgment of God? The judgment of God is life is in the blood and you cannot approach God other than through the blood. Did he accept it? Yes. So did he come with blood? Did he accept God's judgment? Did he accept love mercy? Lord, I am coming to you with blood because I need mercy. If you are not going to God other than through the blood of Jesus, you are not looking for mercy. You don't love mercy. How is Cain going? Did he accept the judgment of God over sin? No. He went with his vegetables and his fruits. Did he accept God's judgment? No. Did he love mercy? No. He says, I'm, I'm not coming to you for mercy. I'm saying, accept me by my, my works. Was he just? Did he love mercy? Did he walk humbly before God? No. All three, he denied. Therefore, did he walk with God? No. He walked away from God. You see, it all began with a walk. But it doesn't say walk. It says walk humbly with your God. It doesn't say walk with God because everybody claims to be walking with God. You cannot walk with God unless you walk in humility. So before I can walk with God, I need something else. What do I need? Humility. And like I said, naturally we are not humble. Everybody thinks they are somebody. Even when they are nobody. 
if i am not humble i cannot walk with god if i cannot walk with god i cannot be just if i am not just i don't love mercy if i don't love justice and mercy i am not good anymore i am not good anymore ramba the most important six verses we will hear in eternity matthew 5 and verse 21 and his lord said to him well done good and faithful servant what's the first thing said good looked at his work said good oh man you know what the lord demands from you you know what it is good to act justly love mercy and to walk humbly with god if i don't walk humbly with god i cannot be just if i am not just i won't love mercy if i don't love mercy my works are considered bad and not good and if i am not good i won't hear the first thing what is that you're good well done good when i look at your work first commendation is well done good first commendation is what you are good you were just what does it mean you were just i looking at your work you were just you loved mercy second commendation you were faithful what does it mean you walked with me you walked humbly with me you were faithful remember the two people in the book of hebrews whose work is commended one is moses and the other is jesus and what is recorded about both of them about moses it is recorded he was the most humble man and about jesus he was meek and lowly and both are considered extremely faithful these are all connected don't separate them well done my good and faithful servant because you walked with me third thing what is it called good faithful servant you served me whom did we serve some of us serve our officers some of us serve our children there are mothers in india who all their life they just serve their children there are some people who only serve their church all their life and never serve god but to him he says well done my good and faithful servant you served me not men though man might have been the beneficiary of your service you actually served me so what do i need most important thing what do i need i need humility more than anything else matthew 11 verses 29 and 30 what does he say take my yoke upon you learn from me for i am gentle and lowly what is jesus he is humble he is humble james chapter 4 6 and 7 it's like a puzzle we are connecting it okay he gives more grace therefore he says god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you first peter chapter 5 verses 5 and 6 likewise you younger people submit yourself to your elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be 
clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. We saw three portions. One about Jesus and two exhortations to us. What is common in all three? About Jesus, Jesus talks about a yoke. James and Peter will say, submit. Yoke is submission. Everybody wants humility and they are praying, Lord, make me humble. God says you will never be humble unless you learn to submit. The practical act of humility is submission. That's why God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. What is that? Submission. If you and I don't learn to submit, we will never be humble. And if we don't be humble, we do not receive grace. Without grace, we are already been declared has failed. Because without grace, we can do nothing. The key to walking with God is this. Submit to God. Submit to God. First, submit to the word. So the first commandment over Jesus is come, not go. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Come. What happens if you don't go? If you are weary and heavy laden by your sin, if you don't go to Jesus, you will be weary and heavy laden by your sin. First you have to go to God and submit. Lord, I submit. I am a sinner. He says, I will take the burden off. You confess. He is faithful. You are forgiven. Now remember, if you are forgiven, you are forgiven. It's over. It's done. It doesn't matter what the crime is. Even if it's murder. It's over. Because you are looking at God. Lord, I just cried before you and said, Lord, I am sorry and I am forgiven from murder. He says, yes. But how can you forgive you me from murder? I did such a great thing. You are looking at yourself. He said, no, I forgave you from murder because I punished my son for that. That's my justice. The problem is so many believers are not able to walk away from condemnation after having repented and sought confession is because they are looking at themselves and not looking at God's justice on the cross. So they repent again and again and again for the same sin when God says, you're forgiven. Just don't bore me. You're forgiven. It's over. But Lord, yes, I know what you did before you told me. But justice is not met in you. Justice is met in my son. Anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is forgiven. Do we believe? That's what scripture says. Submit your sins before God and walk free. Then scripture says, submit first to God. Then scripture says, submit to one another. What does that mean? James chapter 4, 11 and 12. 4, 11 and 12. 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not the doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore is one lawgiver. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? So what does it submit to one another mean? It says, stop judging one another. Leave it alone. 
Don't judge outside your sphere of authority. In Matthew 7, 1 and 2, judge not that you are not judged. On the other hand, if you judge, let's say, you have to judge. Judge, for with what measure you judge, the same measure comes back to you. What does it mean? We have to judge. In so many cases, we have to judge. So God says, when you judge, judge justly and love mercy. What do you get back? Justice and mercy. Judge justly and love mercy. With the same measure it will come back. How does God do that? Scripture says, He will lift you up. Listen carefully. There are a few people who are nodding off. Okay? We submit to God first, not man. By submitting to God, we have freedom from sin. By submitting to man, we have freedom to sin. If you submit to man without submitting to God, you have freedom to sin. If you submit to God first, you have freedom from sin. Let me explain to you, young people sitting over here. So many young people, and we were all like that. Submit to man, meaning they they submit to their father. Why? Because their father has got eyes and his physical presence is there. They only submit to man, they don't submit to God. Therefore, when the father is not in the presence, the, the real person comes out. You see? If you are an employee, you submit to your employer when the employer is there. You have not submitted to God. Okay? Joseph had submitted to God first. So when his father was in there or his employer was in there, it didn't matter how he functioned. It didn't matter how he functioned. His function was always the same. Why is this important? Because we will end up in the kingdom of God just with our salvation because we did not receive grace. Because grace is given to the humble and humility is from submission. You are saved by grace and the temple is built and finished with cries of grace, grace to it. People don't realize that's why he said go preach the kingdom. What is the kingdom all about? The kingdom is all about submission. So that we receive grace. What is the freedom that we are looking for? Freedom from sin or freedom to sin? Submission to God is freedom from sin. Submission to man without submission to God is freedom to sin. Whenever a child does not submit to God, he will always submit to somebody else. You know that everybody submits. You cannot escape submission. Everybody. If you don't submit to your father, when you know you have to submit to your father, when you go to college or school, your friend says something and without your father and mother knowing, you submit to them and you go with them and do other things. You have already submitted. Because you did not submit to God, you have submitted to sin. Everybody. This is the order God has placed. Everywhere God has placed this order because he says that's the way it functions. 
When a woman does not submit to her wife, a husband, can she walk around without submitting? No, she has to submit somewhere. You cannot live without submission. Everybody submits. The problem is when you do not submit to God, you receive a freedom which is not the freedom from sin, which is the freedom to sin. The problem with that sin is there is pleasure in sin. At the end of it is death. Jesus did not come to bring life. Death, he came to give life. Do we understand the kingdom now better? What Jesus is preaching and what is he talking about? Why did Jesus walk in absolute freedom? Because he was full of grace. How did he come full of grace? Because he was the humblest man who ever walked on earth. How did he become so humble? Because he submitted to his father's will in everything. Not even one second of his life was devoid of submission to the will of his father. Whether it was secular or whether it was ministry, it was the same. What is the first thing the father says about his son when he comes out of the water? What does he say? This is my beloved son. Most people, God will be only able to say that. What is that? You are my beloved child. You are my beloved son. But he will not be able to say in whom I am well pleased. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everybody is beloved. God so loved the world. Everybody sitting here will hear from God. You are my beloved. But he will not be able to say, you pleased me. You pleased me. And so many people in God, in, or people of God are not able to do the works of God and fulfill their course, run their course, fulfill their purpose because they are not able to tap into the grace of God. The grace of God is there. The grace of God is there. Enough and more. That is Jesus. Let's go back to that portion in James. James chapter, that portion we read, James chapter 4. Yes, 4. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. Let me tell you the danger of this. If I don't submit, why don't I submit? Because I am not humble. Humble is not the way you walk before men. Humility is how you submit to God and God ordained authority. That is humility. David's brothers thought David was proud when he was humble. Don't misunderstand what humility is. There are a lot of people who think they are humble. They are not humble, they are servile. It's a different meaning altogether. They are proud but servile. If you are not humble, you don't submit. When you don't submit, you don't receive grace. When you don't have grace, you don't have the power to resist the devil. When you cannot resist the devil, you don't have power to resist temptation. When you don't have power to resist temptation, you sin. When you continue in sin, you become evil. When you become evil, you will be separated from God forever. 
This is the line of truth. Where does it all begin? It all begins with submission. That's how the kingdom operates. God says, submit to God, you will receive more grace. You can resist the devil. You can resist temptation. He will deliver you from evil. You can finish your course. You can be an overcomer. You will be told, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Take your crown. You don't do it. It goes the other way. It goes the other way. Saul, King Saul, refused to submit to God after a point in his life. And what happened? He became proud. Grace was withdrawn. He had no power to resist the devil. Finally, he ended up his body pinned to a Philistine wall and ends up his life in hell. Why? Because he had no power to resist temptation or to escape the clutches of evil. That's how it is. This is simple like physics and chemistry equations. Very simple. If you submit, you are humble. If you are humble, you receive grace. You receive grace, you can resist the devil. If you resist the devil, you can overcome the devil. You can overcome sin. You can overcome the world. And if you overcome, God will say one day, well done my good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. What do people do? People don't submit. Without submitting, they try to serve God. And they burn themselves out trying to serve God. You cannot serve the living God in your strength. It is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible. It is impossible. You cannot serve. It is the grace of God who begins the work. It is the grace of God that finishes the work. It's only grace and grace alone. And what does God say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The book of Revelation, chapter 21. You don't have to turn there, chapter 21. You hear about the bride. You only hear about the bride. In chapter 21 and 22, you hear about the bride and bride. In chapter 22, the final chapter, verses 1 to 5, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding to its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Read scripture carefully. Understand it carefully. You will see there is a new earth. There is a new heavens and there is a new city. In the city is this tree of life and its fruit is for the healing of the nations. Its fruit is not for the healing of the people dwelling in the city. Its fruit is for the healing of the people living in the nations. You read chapter 21, you will see the kings of the earth shall bring their glory to this city. Okay? Verse 3. Verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God of the Lamb shall be, and his servants shall serve him. God's servants will serve him on earth. God's servants will serve him in heaven. God's servants will serve him in the new city. Everywhere they will serve him. What's the difference of those who serve him in the city? They shall see his face. 
his name shall be on their foreheads and there shall be no night there they need no lamp no light of the sun for the lord god gives them light and they shall reign forever so there are kings on earth there are kings in the city too the kings in heaven too all are sons of the king but all will not have the same authority you want to receive maximum authority you learn to live under maximum authority here you receive the level of authority there god says it's very simple i'm just i'm very just i'm very just all our children jacob had 10 children 12 sons always sons but the one who ruled the nations was the one who came under authority everywhere because he realized that is the key if you submit you receive grace you receive grace you can resist anything anything overcome anything there's no shortcut methods in the bible absolutely no shortcut method because your salvation and my salvation was the result of submission when we submitted to god's truth and believed then we were saved god says your journey began with submission it will also end only in submission you cannot change course anywhere on the way anywhere on the way submission to this word submission to his truth submission to authority wherever he has placed it civil ecclesiastical home doesn't matter where it is he says submission to god first if you don't submit to god you will submit to sin if you submit to man you will submit to sin what did joseph say potiphar's wife told him you can submit to me i am your boss what did he say there is somebody up there now there is a slight problem madam everything else you have told me all these days and years i can do because there was no clo- conflict between what you were telling me and what my god was telling me but now with this one request you are asking me to choose between submission to you and submission to my god sorry ma'am my god he ended up in jail that is what it means right persecution for righteousness sake what is persecution for righteousness sake because you lifted up the justice of god in your life were you persecuted for justice or were you persecuted for sin understand the kingdom that's why they could rejoice and sing in the prisons it didn't bother them at all why because they were just they acted justly towards them and showed mercy they loved mercy and they walked humbly with their god amen are you tired by the word are you weary by the word or only pastor sharon and i are alive today and we both are actually the most tired in the body come let's pray let's just stand up father we just look into your word we see how simple the gospel is help us not to complicate it lord your son showed the way your son showed the way he is the way and he has shown us the way it is written in the word of god about your son In the volume of your book it is written about me O God to do your will I have come 
from the beginning of his life till the end, your son showed us through his prayer, let thy will be done. He was filled with the spirit because he submitted to the uttermost. He was filled with power because he emptied himself and allowed you to fill him with your spirit. You are showing us the same way, the same path. There is no other path. That is the truth. That is the life that is being offered to each one of us here. That we truly will be able to say with our lips, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First, in this body made of earth, Thy will be done. Help us to understand, Lord. You give grace to the humble, but you resist the proud. We need grace. More grace. For the days ahead will only get darker. More fearsome. Where evil will be rampant. Where good will be called evil and evil will be called good. Where seducers and waxers, evil men will grow stronger and stronger. And in that our Lord, what we need is more and more of your grace. There is no other way, Lord. You have shown us the way. Help us to submit to godly and ungodly authorities. There are many, many ungodly authorities in this world, but you place them there. We submit to them because we submit to you first. But we'll always only obey you. We'll only obey you always. No one else. When there is a discord, we choose to obey you. So that we can be free from sin. We don't want freedom to sin. We want freedom from sin. For that is the first promise in the new covenant. You shall name him Jesus and he shall deliver his people from sin. That's the freedom we are looking for, Lord. And that's only possible if we choose now to serve you and you alone. We can submit to any authority, but choose only to serve God. We as a church surrender ourselves into thy hands. Speak to us, Father, continuously. Help us to walk with you. Help us to walk with you. As Enoch walked, as Moses walked, as Jesus walked, as the apostles walked, help us to walk with you. For we believe, we understand, we were redeemed for that purpose. That men and women, young and old, can walk with God again. Thank you, Father. Thank you. As we go into a new month, go before us. Go with us. Strengthen us. Protect us. Preserve us. Lead us not into temptation, Lord. Deliver us from the power of evil. 
so that we can truly declare each day with our heart, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. We can truly declare, Lord. We want these prayers to be real, Father, just not mere words. Real in our lives. For you came to give us life. Life in abundance. Let there be healing in the body of Christ. Let there be deliverance in the body of Christ. Let the power of God be released in his body. And let the presence of God be there with each one of us, O Lord. Thank you, Father. We now just choose to lift up holy hands and bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.